Um, so last week, um, I, I mentioned a quote, and it was really helpful in thinking about this kind of idea of the faith and deeds and talking about the things we do. And it was a quote by Mark Twain. He said, in 20 years from now, uh, you will probably regret the things that you didn't do more than things you do. He said, in 20 years from now, you will regret more the things you did not do than the things that you did do. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. As I thought through that last week, there's a lot of truth. There are parts where I wish I had responded quicker to things he'd asked me to do. But I would imagine that if you were to be honest with yourself, though you may not regret the things you didn't do, I bet in those 20 years, there are a lot of things that you said that you regret, that you said out of your mouth that you regret saying more than the things you did. And when I think about that, that is so true for me. My mouth is the thing that gets me in more trouble than anything else in my life. Um, you can ask my mom. Um, that was uh, maybe the biggest part of our life growing up, um, having a smart mouth. My mouth often acts before my head. It is often on its own trajectory. And there are so many things over the last 20 years that I regret saying. Now, those things uh, can be worked out, but I, I, I have thought of a story because I know that most of you want to hear about me in high school, so you're welcome. Um, Senior year, we had just wrapped up. We had like a hard year. We had had a lot of stuff going on in our life, but we finally made it through the year. We had graduated and we were at camp together. Best friends were all at camp together. Uh, it was like this dream. We're up in North Carolina. We're all there and we had worked so hard to get there. Everybody had saved money and we'd been inviting our friends. And for uh, my best friends, Chris and Kyle, they were two of my best friends. We're still to this day. Chris, I've known since he was five. Kyle, we've just grown up together. We've done ministry together. We've just done our, our family and lives together. We had been inviting our friends. It's kind of a culmination of all this. And we're, we're at camp. We're up in North Carolina. And um, I don't know about you, but in high school, we had a lot of nicknames for each other. And I don't know if this was just a typical high school thing or if this is part of the baseball team kind of culture. My best friend Chris is part of the baseball team, so we always hang out. So everybody had a nickname. Mine was not very original. I was Juice, OJ, Juice, come on. Feels like you could try a little harder than that, right? Um, at least some people would call me Odd. OJ, they take the dots out. So it's like some people tried a little bit, but there are a lot more creative nicknames. There was Mo, he was Mahoney. It's shortened down. Um, Bones, that was a great one. I always thought that was a really great nickname, Bones. Uh, there was Big Jim, who happens to run Beefy King now, which is great. There was Little Jim, because he was smaller in Big Jim. Um, and then we come to my friend Robbie, and his nickname was Schnoz. Now, I just that was his name. He, that's what he went by, and he even had a symbol. His symbol was like this. Um, it, was, it was a nose. Um, it's going to get more awkward. So just as you're sitting there, if you have trouble with, like, there's something about, or not, um, Meet the parents, like this is going to feel like that in many ways, and I don't know how to resolve that tension for you. Um, I will tell you this though, he did not, there was nothing about him that would make you think that. He just ended up with that nose. I don't know if he had a runny nose one day, so he schnoz. So we get to camp, schnoz is there. Now, at one point, we're all sitting in the big room together. We're in like the worship time. There's 300 plus high school students. Here's my friend Robbie Schnoz is over here. We're all sitting together, and there are people up front sharing their stories. And they're up there, and I, I'm not really paying attention yet because all I heard is the woman up front says knows. Now, there's two things that it's probably good to know about me. One, I love connecting people. If I hear something, if I know something about you and I find something out, I want to connect you to it. If I know you like food, I'm going to tell you about a new restaurant. If you're looking for a house, I'm not going to stop looking for a house for you. If, if there, I'm just going to do things. Like, I love connecting people to things. So I heard knows, and I immediately thought of schnoz, right? The other thing is I want to be funny most of the time. So oftentimes, I'm going to be focused on how to get a laugh. Those did not combine very well that day. Um, so I hear that, and all of a sudden, I just, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting so excited. I'm just like vibrating with excitement because I, I hear nose, and, and there's, there's Robbie, there's schnoz, and I just go, schnoz, as loud as I can. Now, a couple things happened simultaneously that I did not know about. One, the room had gone silent. Um, that was unfortunate. Um, all eyes 
turned on me, including my youth leader, who is just the look of disgust on his face. Um, and I'm looking around and just, you know that moment when your heart just drops into your stomach and you have no idea what you've just done, but you know it's bad. And I look around, I'm like, what, what, what happened? And they all look at me and they go, she just shared the most painful part of her life was her nose. That her whole self-esteem, her whole life has been wrecked by her nose, that she'd had to have plastic surgery and they're sharing about how dark their life was and, and you chose that moment to yell schnoz in a crowded room of people. And I believe you even did this as you were yelling it. Um, my mouth gets me in so much trouble. And it, it, often it works apart from my brain. It is just going and things come out of it. Our mouths, our tongue is powerful. Um, we use our words to hurt and heal. Our words matter. Our words have weight. Our words make a difference in the world. Um, we use our words all the time. And I think increasingly in our culture, words have become more and more important with the proliferation of ways to share them with the amount that we use them, uh, with the places that we can go with them. Um, this has been so helpful to you because I'm a talker. Uh, I like being with people. So I use words even more than most, uh, even get paid to use them at times. Um, but I, it's been so good in the study as people have sent um, uh, things in as you've gotten, the, if those of you who've signed up for the James study, when you sign up, there's a way to respond back of things that I've learned. And someone from our campus wrote one in. He said, you know, I've always read this passage in James about words and thought it doesn't apply to me. I'm not a speaker. I'm an introvert. I'm a quiet person. I'm a writer. I just write things down. And he said, for the first time when he was reading it, he realized those are words. Those are words that have come out of him. So we're all on the hook. If you find yourself to be quiet, but all you do is write, those are the same words. They don't have to come out of our mouth. For those of you who are active on social media, your words can hurt and heal. They matter. We see this day after day in the news, bullying people who put their worth in the weight of the words that come out about them. Words matter a lot. And not only the words that are said, but also words that are left unsaid. There's also a piece of this where there are times when there are things that we're supposed to say that we don't. And some of those words are just as painful as the words that do come out. I called some of my friends. Uh, we are gifted in this community to have so many people that are uh, mental health counselors and that are just doing incredible work with people. So I called several of them and I, I asked them this question. Uh, is the old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me true? And unequivocally... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm looking at you. I mean, you're not nodding at me, but I feel like you are inside. Um, but um, they said that a good chunk of their day is spent undoing the words that have been said, undoing the words that have spoken things in the people's life. Um, they had also said, and that was kind of where that idea, also the words that were unsaid, the, the, the forgiveness not asked for, the words that weren't said in those times, our words have a lot of power and I believe that this passage will be one of the most helpful things. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, um, to know where we're sitting in James, James deals specifically with what does it look like to follow Jesus? How do we live this life out within him? And, and so a lot of this is reserved for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And the same is true about how we live this out. But I think this part of it will be the most true because you know in your daily life that words matter. The words that your parents have said to you, your grandparents, your friends, those around you, the words that you haven't heard that you needed to hear in your life, words carry a great deal of weight in your world. And I believe uh, that for all of us, this passage is a huge piece of what we have to figure out as followers of Jesus. And, and we will learn more and more why our words matter. Uh, we're gonna be looking at James 3 today. And um, 
it is no surprise to God that our words matter. You see, in the beginning, if we go all the way back to Genesis, you and I uh, were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And for God, words create. Words matter. They are important to God. In the beginning, as we're created in his image, it said that God, when he created everything, he spoke into existence that which exists. In John 1, he says uh, that he spoke through the word, the Logos, which was Jesus, the word. He called Jesus himself the word. Words were so important to God that he referred to his only son as the word. Words matter. That is what speaks life into existence. He spoke things into existence. And in the same way, you and I are created in his same image You and I have been imbued with the power to speak life and things into existence. Whether you believe yet fully in him or not, you are still created in that same image of God. So I'd encourage all of you to listen in as we go through James 3. And I'd invite you to follow along um, in your Bibles or in your bulletins. We're going to be reading James chapter 3, verses 1. I can't remember through what. That's why I just went blank. So... 12, thanks, there we go. That's what happens when you don't mark your Bible. Hear these words. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. So in the beginning here in three, one and two, I love it. If we recall, James is a pastor. James is telling his people who have been spread out far and wide how to then live as followers of Jesus. They are out of their context. They are learning to live in this new life. And James cares about his people. And once again, we see his heart in this because right off the bat, he says in two, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James has sky-high expectations. James, as he says, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Says it looks like Jesus. To follow Jesus looks to be exactly like him. The expectation is perfection. Yet he knows that you and I are human and can't live up to that because his acceptance levels are just as high. He says we all stumble. So he holds in tension that which God holds in tension, God's holiness, his perfection with our imperfection. Yet the desire and the hope is that we would look and love more like him. The hope is that as we live more like him, that we would resemble him so closely that the world around us would see it. Yet he says at the same time, we know we all stumble, we all fall apart. I love that James from the very beginning says, let's let's keep these up there. Let's not let one go for the sake of the other. Let's hold them both there. But know this, my acceptance is sky high. Grace is real for his people. 
So he starts there, and then he moves on with three images. He gives three images of what the tongue is like. Though it is the smallest, one of the smallest muscles in the body, it's one of the most powerful, and he gives three images. First is riding a horse. Um, I'm gonna do this. Raise your hand if you've ever ridden a horse. I'm just curious. Oh, wow, like almost everybody, that's great. Um, for some reason, I can't imagine why, whenever I go ride a horse, um, which is not often, I, I somehow end up with a 12,000 pound behemoth named Old Gray, and they're like, oh, he's so gentle, yet he's like 17 feet high and like 10 feet wide, and he just like has fire in his eyes. Um, but I'm always amazed every time I get on there, it, it's just such a small movement, right? Like you just barely move on the reins and they move to where you want them to go, a tap. And, and the bit is so small that they put in their mouth to be able to control them. A small bit can control a large horse. And he gives that image of the horse and being able to control a horse with a small image. The next, he talks about a boat being controlled by a small rudder. And I remember the first time ever really realizing how small of a piece of wood or metal can control such a big ship. We were sailing down to the Bahamas uh, many years ago and we were like on a 65 foot catch going through and we'd gone through a rough night across uh, the, the, the Gulf Stream, 13, 14 foot seas. I'm not much of a, a sea person. Um, and so there was a lot of what we call nausea. Um, <laughs> And so we made it across and we finally dock and, we're, and it's like the first day that we're not still green in the face and we, we finally put our snorkels on it and get out. And I remember diving under the boat from crystal clear water the first time and seeing the rudder and how small this rudder was on this giant boat that had gotten us across massive waves. A small piece can keep a boat in check in big waves. It, it, it's such a clear image of what that is. And then he says a small spark can start a giant forest fire. And uh, we've been the recipient of this recently as we, uh, it's kind of hard to forget with as much rain as we've had, but in that dry season we had here in the spring, the number of forest fires that started off such small things. I heard about the one in Palm Bay uh, recently had started and, and consumed some houses because a student was burning his books at the end of the school year. Um, I think the one in Gatlinburg that took so much of that town, including uh, one of our favorite places, we had a friends who've been kind enough to let us stay and they lost their home. And I mean, they sent me a picture and there's nothing. It's their, their neighborhood is gone uh, their, where their homes were. And, and it was a couple of kids playing in the woods. A small spark can start a massive fire. And he says in the same way, our tongue is like that. Though small, it is incredibly powerful. And then he moves on in 3.6. And this is such a curious passage that I had to pause on it. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a harsh statement. I mean, he kind of gives a very clear picture of what it looks like and everything else is very in line. It's very easy to follow. And this piece in the middle, it's like he just, in case we didn't get it yet, he wants to make sure, James wants to make sure we're listening and to know this is a big deal. This is a big deal, the whole course of one's life. It's not a thing that sits off to the side. Your mouth is not a compartmentalized piece of your, your body. The words that come out, it is a part of the whole of life. And it has the power of hell itself within it, of death. If you're not paying attention yet, I hope James gets you there. It's a bit odd, but also it's a, it's a reminder. This is a big deal. But then he goes on in 3.7. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Praise and hurt, life and death, and the power of the tongue, and it is beyond our control. It is something that we can't tame. I think this uh, becomes especially important to us, this verse here in seven that is outside of our control. If you are like me, I want to control everything. 
I think in our culture, that is a big piece. If we just try hard enough, if you just white knuckle it hard enough, you can do it. If you get enough life hacks, if you're productive enough, you have enough apps, whatever it is, if you just try hard enough, you can subdue whatever it is around you. And there's pieces of that that have worked out really well for our culture because there's a lot that we've been able to do with that. But this is a piece where he says it's outside of our control. This is outside of human control. He continues in verse nine and it says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Out of the same mouth come praise the Father. When we're sitting here praising him, singing to him, speaking words of life, reflecting him in his truest essence and that we have all been created in him and from within us, words of life that can flow out, words of creation imbued by God himself. Yet in the same tongue, from the same mouth come words of cursing and words of death as we walk out, as we speak to one another. And again, Pastor James comes out. He says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. I love that once again, James pulls aside from his teaching of just telling him the way it is and says, guys, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Husbands, this is not the way you're supposed to be talking to your wives. Wives, this is not the way you're supposed to be talking to your husbands. Brothers, this is not the way you're supposed to be talking to your sisters. Sisters, to your brothers, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Church members, he's talking to people who are following Jesus. The way you are speaking to each other is not the way that it is supposed to be. To bosses and their employees and employees to their bosses, the way that you are speaking to each other is not the way that it was supposed to be. You've been given the power of life within your words, yet often you're using it for death and for cursing. Our words matter. And he makes a case again and reminds us that the way that we have been wired to use our words are often pointed in the wrong direction. So what's the hope in all this? I mean, it's a clear picture of where our tongues are, where our mouth, of the, the power of our words. So what then do we do? He gives it to us here in the last two verses. In 11 and 12, he says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So how do we do this? If, if this is so important, if our words can create life, if our words can curse, if our words matter this deeply, how then do we live? What do we then do if, it, if it's beyond your and my power to subdue them? If it's beyond the power of man, what do we do? James says we need a new man in our life. We need a new source of life for these words to come out of. In Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, he says, Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He is saying that we need a new person, the new man, the person we talked about last week, the man of good faith, the man of living faith, Jesus himself was the only one who ever got this right perfect, perfectly. He lived this out and he promises us new life. He is the source of new life. And this is the hope within it. If you are already a follower of Jesus, this is within you. That power is already living within you, whether we have fully harnessed it or not. The new source of life is there. And he is saying, remember, this is the new life that you claim that it can come from. We need a new source for these words to come out of us, for life to spring forth out of us. It's also the encouragement of that if you are not yet a follower of him and you know how powerful your words are, you know the, the gift they can be and the pain that they can cause. He said, in the same way, know that there is a source of new life, that Jesus is that source of new life, that you can claim it today, that you can start it in an instant, but that it will take the rest of your life to fully understand how it works out, yet it'll be there for eternity as well. In an instant, for our whole life and throughout eternity, this relationship matters within us. 
And then he says in Luke 6, 45, that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what is your heart full of? Is your heart full of new life? Is it full of the, the, the man of good faith? Is it full of the person, the only one who can give us a living faith, the one that we talked about last week that can matter so deeply to the world? What is the wellspring within you? Is it death or is it life? And the only source of life, he says, is Jesus, his brother. James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, says, I have met and I know the source of life. I can attest to the one who gave his life and came back. I've seen him. It has changed my life radically and it can change yours. So what can you do? You know that your words are important. You know that you need a new source of life. So what can you do? It's interesting because though in the middle part, he says that this is beyond our control, that this is something that man cannot tame. There is a sense, there is a piece of this that is on us. In James 1.21, he says this. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. There is a sense that there is some discipline of claiming the new life that is already within us, to humbly give ourselves to then go and accept what is already there if you are a believer in him. If you are not yet a believer in him, to accept that source of new life and then to humble yourself to accept that that word that is planted within you. There's a sense that there's a piece of us that has to discipline ourselves to go back to that source of life. And also there's a sense that a part of us can get rid of things that are there. Sometimes the most helpful thing you can do is not say the thing that is on your lips to say. Um, Though it may be true, it may not be helpful. And this is the one that I get hung up on all the time. Though it may be true, it may not be helpful. When you're driving home from work and you've had a rough day and you're tired and you walk in, maybe we should just change this that. When I drive home and I walk in and the counter's dirty and I look at Rachel and go, what have you been doing all day? The counter's pretty dirty. Is that helpful? No. Is it true? Maybe, but it is not helpful. And I need to learn the most helpful thing would be, would be to keep my mouth closed. There are so many instances that this is true in our life. Sometimes the most helpful thing we can do is to discipline ourselves, to take that extra couple of seconds that it takes to stop, to stop and to be silent. Even though it's true, it may not be helpful. Part of that is asking Jesus to give us wisdom. I actually saw this in practice this week. I was talking to a friend of mine as I was working through this and he had an email that he wanted to send. Again, words, right? Email or often in text can be sometimes be the most hurtful things that we can send. And he was getting ready to send it and I was like, do you maybe, like, maybe want to wait a minute on it? And we, and he, we had just finished talking about it. He's like, James 3, huh? I'm like, yeah. And he did, and he stopped, and he waited until the next day. And the situation radically changed because then he talked to the person. And it, it, it makes a huge difference to ask Jesus into the midst of that. The advantage of this for all of us, um, even if you're not yet a believer in him, uh, is in Proverbs 17, 28, it says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So a side benefit of us not saying anything is that we might look even smarter than we are. Um, but most of what happens in this, most of what we need to do is to claim a different source of life. Uh, we need a source of life that is working within us, that is there already if we are a believer in Jesus, that is living within us. Um, this idea of faith and works that we talked about last week, that works are already imbued, that we're already within this grace that we have so accepted, that we're waiting to come out in the same way. There are words of life that have been implanted in you when you have accepted Jesus that are waiting to come out. We need to claim that new source of life. We, we don't work hard to produce work. We don't work hard to produce these words, but it is a sense of going to the one who has created this within us to live it out. I'll tell you that this is a process. 
And I think this is why it's so helpful when James says this. He's giving it to his people, and he says, remember, we all stumble. This is not something that happens overnight. Though grace happens in an instant, though your new life comes in, when Jesus comes into your heart, it is a process that lives out through the rest of our life. That is a process by which we change throughout our life. That, that word in the church world is sanctification, uh, but it looks means looking more and more like Jesus every day. And part of that is going back and, and asking the one who gives us life to live within us. It doesn't happen overnight, and it can get discouraging when you hear that this is something that, that we can't control. It's, it can be easy to just throw up your hands and go, well, it's beyond my control. I can just say whatever I want now. Um, that's not entirely what he's saying. Um, but he is saying that there's a part of us that has to keep relying on this one. We need to keep going back to the source of life, to keep continuing to ask him to change us. So what can we do? Uh, what can we do with it? If, if it's requiring this new source of life, what is it on us to do? I think there are, are three things um, that we can do in the midst of this. One, ask God for wisdom. In James 1, it says that God is the source of all wisdom. And if we ask him humbly for it, that he will gladly give it. God is the source of wisdom. Take a moment and ask him. In those times when you're driving home or when you're getting ready to walk into a meeting with your boss or you're getting walk into a meeting with your, the person who's working for you or you're getting ready to talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend or your son or your daughter, take that extra two seconds and say, God, give me wisdom and see what happens. I, I really believe that the more that we ask that, the more your words and your heart will change because you'll take that extra time to just connect those two pieces once again and God will work in the midst of that. Ask God for wisdom and he will give it. It's a promise of his. In James 1, he promises to give us wisdom. The second thing we can do is there's a prayer in Psalm 141, verses 3. And this is the prayer. He says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer that was captured, but it's so succinct, but it's so true. I think if we were to pray that prayer on a regular basis, that Jesus would be invited into the way that we speak, into the words that are there. And this last one, um, if this is an area that you really struggle with, if this is an area that you want to get better in, oftentimes we need a mirror to be able to see and hear the words that come out of us. And oftentimes, uh, if you're like me and this is the area that you struggle with, you're not the best mirror for yourself because I oftentimes remember incredible words coming out of my mouth and Rachel will tell me they were maybe not as helpful as I thought they were. Um, You may need another person to be a mirror for you is to invite someone in and say, I'm working on this. Can you listen? And two things will happen in that. You will get a very accurate reflection back if if they're willing to be honest with you. If you're humble enough to ask that in, they will be able to share with you. But the other piece that can happen is that they, you will start to see progress. This is one of those areas where it's hard to know if you're making progress in your life. That person can actually help you see that progress you're making because they can go, you know, you actually really did something different this week with that. So consider asking another person to be a mirror. What can happen if we get this right? This is a big one. Uh, The power of our words. I mean, this is situated right in the middle of James, and I don't think that's an accident that it's right there. And it's it's kind of teamed up right with this faith and deeds thing. If we get this right, our words can create life. Again, we're created in God's image, and, and he spoke into existence life. And I believe in the same way he has given us that same power with our words. We have the opportunity to call out what is most true in other people. Um, we have an opportunity to speak reality into existence by our words. And in the same token, we have the opportunity to shut people down and, and to curse them as well. It is a powerful and a holy thing that we've been given with our words. It is a responsibility that we have been trusted with. But if we get it right, 
what can happen with our words is remarkable. I believe that the reason that I'm here today, the reason that I have the family I have, the reason that I'm sitting up here doing this today is because early on when I was growing up, they used to ask me to read the Bible at church. And I remember some of the older folks in the congregation would come up and just say, you know, you're, you're really good at reading the Bible. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that about myself. I don't even know if that was entirely true, but it made a big difference and who I wanted to be because then I wanted to read the Bible more. I wanted to get up in front of people and read the Bible more. You know what happens when you get in front of and read the Bible to people? Your life starts to change. I remember my, uh, a guy who I met with in college, one of my mentors in college, um, he would just keep saying, just take another step. Faith is just taking one more step, waking up every morning, putting one foot in front of the other and keeping going. That's a huge part of faith. And, and that has been such a huge piece of my life through the ups and downs and the twists and turns of life has been waking up every day. And I remember those words of that encouragement of just, just do it, just keep doing it. And he spoke that into my life. Um, I remember my youth pastor, well before I was ready to take on a step, my young life leader, well before I was able or had, had changed the way I was yet living. I was still in the midst of a lifestyle that didn't fully reflect Jesus as we talked some about last week. Yet he said, why don't you come and start helping out with our middle schoolers? Why don't you start pouring into the next generation? Why don't you come and, and, and walk alongside me? You'd be really good at them. You're a leader. Yeah, people follow you. You, you should do that. Oh. And pieces of life were spoken. And my parents from an early on saying, uh, that you're loved, that this is a, you're accepted, uh, this is a place that is safe. All of that, all of those words were spoken into me and I believe that my life is very different today and we have that opportunity, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's the friends that are around you, whether it's that, that cashier that you're gonna see later on today and just saying, when they're doing a good job, you know, you're really good at that, thanks, you made my day. Those words matter, the way that we can speak life into it. And I know this is a struggle for me. Rachel and I are polar opposite in our love languages. She, for those of you who do the love language thing, um, but she, okay, Omar, you guys. Um, thank you. Um, Rachel needs words, and I am not great with them, but I know that that's not let me off the hook, right? In the same way, those of us who struggle with this, that struggle with the power of our tongue, James doesn't say if you struggle with this. He doesn't say if you're that one or... If, if you're, you speak real fast, but you're okay, you don't have to worry about this, all of us. It's for all of us to take this on. This is how we look more and love more like Jesus because we can speak life into the world around us. And I hope that as we move through the summer, we can continue to get this right because we have the opportunity to create life together. What, what an incredible thing that God offers us. But that we get to create life and the kids that are growing up behind us, the people that are around us, if we start speaking this to each other, and life starts happening, if you start speaking it to the next generation that are gonna be here, and they start changing, and then if we start sharing it into the world around us collectively, if we do that, unbelievable what could happen in the world. Life, real life, pure life, the life that people are dreaming of could come into existence. This morning, we're gonna continue with our worship by the taking of communion. I'm gonna invite the band to come back on stage. And this morning, I know for me, <laughs> this table is a table of repentance because my words get ahead of me and there are things that come out. This is an area that I, I need Christ to continue to work in my life and, and to ask for forgiveness, but also to ask for the power to continue to change. That's this table for me today. For you, this may be an affirmation that the things you're doing already and the way you're speaking life and the people and the way you're using your words, this table could just be a reminder that Jesus is alive in you and that he is living that life in you. And, and I hope for so many of you that's true, that this table is a continued affirmation of the way that you're living and that Jesus is gonna come alongside of you at this table. For all of us, it's a reminder that Jesus gave his life so that we can have new life inside of us. Again, 
Our words are not something we can subdue and control on our own. It is only through a new source of life. And that new source of life is Jesus, the Jesus who died on the cross, the Jesus who came back to life to offer us new life. And in this table is a promise and a reminder that he did that for you and for me, that it's not conditional, that it's not something that goes away, that this is a real, actual thing that happened for your real, actual life that happens in the real, actual world outside of those doors. Jesus himself gave his life. And on that last night when he was with his disciples, he took a loaf of bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And the same way he took a cup of wine, he said, this is my blood shed for you. Eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me, this life that I've given for you. And we do that together this morning. In a moment, the band is gonna lead us in worship. And as you're prepared, come forward to one of these three stations. Uh, the one on my right and your far left is a gluten-free option. There will be folks there and you'll take a piece of bread out of the basket and that person will say, the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take that piece of bread and you'll dip it into one of the cups. There's one labeled wine and the other is juice. The person there will say, the body of, or the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you'll take uh, that element and return to your seat. If you need some extra time this morning, um, please take it. Again, if you are taking the whole time and you just need to stay there and miss communion during this part, come grab me after. Always happy to do that. And if you're in a place, if you need someone to physically come bring it to you, just tell someone next to you. I'll be happy to run that back to you as well. Um, but as you're prepared, come forward and take this meal, this meal of repentance, this meal of sustenance, this meal of life this morning.